This is episode 56 with four-time All-American, the former director of marketing for Potomac River Running, and 247 marathoner, Ms. Kira D'Amato. Hey everyone, it's time to podcast. This is your host, Jason, and today we're having a wide-ranging conversation that goes all over the place. My guest today is a former All-American, mom of two who's embarking on a new career at the same time that she's going after the Olympic Trials Marathon Qualifier of 245. Kira is someone who's been involved in the running scene for her entire life, not only as an athlete, but also as a marketing director for one of Washington, D.C.'s biggest running specialty stores, and even as D.C.'s running realtor. Before we get to our discussion, our sponsor today is the AFX, the Ankle Foot Maximizer. It's an innovative tool that lets you more effectively strengthen your feet, and lower legs. So if you are injury prone in these areas, this is a great option for you. And you can also use code STRENGTHRUN, no space, all caps, to get 10% off at afx-online.com. Stay tuned until the end of the podcast, and I'll go into a little bit more detail about why this product is so helpful and who it's right for, because admittedly, it's not for everyone. Okay, let's get to our interview with Kira. We're going to reminisce about our fondness for DC's huge Rock Creek Park, where I did most of my training from 2008 to 2014, what we've both learned about runners being involved in the running industry for so long, and we'll dive into how this mom and professional went from running nearly four hours in her first marathon to chasing after the Olympic trials qualifier. Without further delay, please welcome Ms. Kira D'Amato. Hey, Kara, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. Yeah, so you spent a long time in the D.C. area, and so did I from about 2008 through 2014. And uh, I lived in Silver Spring, which is just a stone's throw from the district. But I was up in the Maryland side, and I think you're on the, the Virginia side. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Northern Virginia. I went to Oakton High School, um, a lot of high school cougar pride. Um, and then I went to school in Washington, D.C. So I went to American University. Um, yeah, so that, that's been, that was my stomping ground for a real long time. I have a lot of wonderful memories of the D.C. area. Yeah, well, you must have run in Rock Creek Park, I'm sure, thousands of miles, right? Thousands of miles. That is, yeah, that's not an understatement. Thousands of miles have been run in Rock Creek Park. Yeah, I one of the things I miss the most about DC was being able to run in Rock Creek Park for you know the majority of of my running because I I could get into the park in about a mile or so from where I was living. So uh, I, I'm always plugging Rock Creek Park here on the podcast when I can. Anybody who visits DC who lives in the DC area got to get in Rock Creek Park. It's stunningly beautiful. The trails are uh, everything from wide and well groomed to technical and super hilly. There really is something for everything. Uh, and Rock Creek Park is not sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> but they should. No, but that's that's yeah. a magical thing about the DC area is that you're in the middle of a city and you know it has all the amenities of a city, but then you turn a block and you're in the middle of Rock Creek Park or Capitol Crescent Trail. Or there's just so many fabulous places 
not on pavement to run in the DC area, which is really, really special for for a city of its size. Yeah. And I think it contributes to the running community in DC, which is really strong. There's such a great series of races uh, in DC and around DC. Um, and that, that leads into your, uh, your previous role as the director of marketing at the Potomac River Running Stores. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you did there for them. Yeah, so I um, I started with Potomac River Running or PR as we called it back in 2011, and I was brought on as the director of marketing to handle, you know, all things fun is kind of what I what I kind of labeled the title. But you know, it involved a lot of our social media marketing um, and digital marketing and you know mail and print marketing, but then also just how we're involved with the community. And I think that's something really really important um, in the owner's minds of that we're not just a running store, that we are kind of a local source for information. We're a place you can come train with, we're a place you can come race with and just make sure we're telling, you know, that inclusive story uh, of how we interact with the community. Um, Yeah. So I kind of, I wore a lot of hats at Potomac River Running, but it's just such a fabulous company and it's locally owned. um, So I can't say enough great things about it. Well, I'm glad you brought up the running community side of things, because that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, You know, one of the many things that I love about running specialty stores is that they do a lot more than just sell running gear. They host talks, they have uh, group runs sometimes, and otherwise just really cater to the running community. Um, So what do you wish more runners knew about these resources and all of the extra things that these stores do for the community? Well, and that you make such a great point because it is like, you know, in the time period that we live on, live in and right now, it's so easy to go and shop online. But by doing that, you're limiting kind of the resources that a local shop can be providing you with. I mean, just going in and being fit and going through that gait analysis process is something that, um, you can't do over the internet and you need to be in hands with someone that, knows how to do gait analysis and can be talking to you about local places to run or the, you know, the nearest trail upcoming races, or, you know, something's feeling a little weird in your calf and what that can be is, you know, should you go talk to someone? So kind of the expertise behind, um, behind the shoe. Um, but then also because Potomac river has Potomac river running has the running store, they are able to, like you said, put on free group runs. They're able to do training programs. So someone that's thinking about maybe doing their first 5K this year can sign up and and go be part of a community, be held accountable um, and get a training program. Because sometimes you really just don't even know where to start. So having you know, a coach there telling you this is what you need to do if we're going to reach that goal of a 5K or maybe you want to do your first half or even first marathon, that there's different groups for that. So um, it's a little, it's, you know, as convenient as it is to online shop, like it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that um, if if online shopping were the only option, you would lose so much of what a local retailer can offer the community. Um, yeah, so that that's my pitch to shop local there. <laughs> well, it's a good pitch. And, you know, I know some of the shoes at a, at a running specialty store might be, you know, $10 more expensive than what you might be able to get on Amazon or elsewhere online. But, you know, like you said, a free training program, a gate analysis, expert advice, information about the local running scene, races that might be coming up, places to run, that's worth 10 bucks to me. 
that is clearly worth a little bit of extra premium to not only get that information, but then be part of that community to meet uh, other runners and, and people there that are going to make your running experience a lot more richer and also probably a lot more productive. You might be a better runner because of those extra resources. So I, I, I do think it's it's really great that uh, running stores do these kinds of things. And yeah, I wish more runners would take advantage of it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, you must have learned a lot of things about runners in this job. What makes them tick, what they love, what they hate. Can you tell us maybe something surprising or counterintuitive that you might have picked up from from your experience at, at PR? Because uh, I know you were, you know, like you said, you're in charge of all things fun. What What fun things do runners really identify with? And maybe what are the things that you guys tried that that didn't work so well? You know, that's, that's a loaded question there. Um, I, I think love one of the questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So do I until I'm answering them. Um, <laughs> just um, I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, first is that running can be such a different, um, it, it can be different in people's lives, have a different role, have a different necessity, have a different level of passion. And I think people determine their themselves um, that level of running. So I think that was something for me to really understand coming in as a director of marketing, that not everyone wants to go out and train for like a 5k. Some people, like I would crack up, some people would come into the store and say, um, you, you know, we're a little intimidated even to go into a running store because it had running in the title and say, oh, you know, I'm not a runner. And, you know, and then we'd respond, well, what do you do? And they're like, well, I run three miles a day pretty much every day. And we're like, you're a runner. <laughs> like, newsflash, you're a runner. So, you know, everyone kind of defines running in their life a little bit of a different way. And throughout my time with PR, I feel like I've kind of experienced running in like different facets of my life too, with, um, training competitively. And then I've also had two babies in the last, um, four years. So coming back with, you know, a post-pregnancy body and realizing how much running can suck when you're like just getting back into it. Um, so, and I think having that, outlook on it, like kind of makes me understand because I've been running for like 20 years of my life now. So, you know, and I, I, I love it, but I can now understand and relate to someone just getting into running with how terribly awful it can be when you're starting it. So that was easier for me then to give advice that, you know, hang in there, like make it through that first like 30 days of trying to get into like, you know, the, the running shape you want to be in, um, and it will get more enjoyable. Um, but as far as Potomac River running is concerned, I mean, we tried so many different things. Like, um, I think some of the more fun things we did, we did like a trail running circuit where we just show people new trails around Northern Virginia. Um, and you know, people I think are very familiar with running in their neighborhoods, but may not know the local trails or even feel comfortable navigating through them. So we, um, held at different trails in different parks around Northern Virginia, there's free runs for everyone to explore the trails. And then I'm trying to think of something that didn't work as well. Those I kind of quickly erased from my memory and try to move on. But, um, that's the mindset of a runner right there. (laughs) Yeah, well, especially now I'm training for marathons. You got to forget really quickly and move on when things don't go your way. But yeah, um, every bad workout, you you learn from it and then you just forget it and move on. Exactly. Yeah. Take the, take the lessons learned. You know, you gotta, you gotta become a better person afterwards and then 
you know, yeah. And then uh, tie your shoes up the next day and start start over again. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything that, I don't know, that we failed at. Um, I think it's always, you know, a learning experience, figuring out what the community needs and how people want running in their life. But I think right now, like our biggest thing is um, really to make sure that people understand, like, it's, you know, running retail stores aren't necessarily just for runners. Like anyone that needs like a good, comfortable pair of shoes or that's on their feet a lot um, could really benefit from getting their gait analysis and making, you know, seeing um, how much support you need in a shoe or how much cushion, are you wearing the right size? Um, Even after, after I had um, two kids, like I went in and got you know, the gait analysis again. And they're like, you're running in the wrong size shoe. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I've been this size my whole life. They're like, you need to move up a size now. Um, so it's just those little things that I think they can, they can offer in your learning every day. Uh, I think it's really interesting that, you, you know, you mentioned learning about all the different reasons why runners run. And we're not all, you know, trying to run the fastest 5K or marathon that we are. And, you know, different runners have different types of goals and running has different roles in their lives because that's what I've learned too. You know, one of the cool things about my job is that I get to talk to runners pretty much all day long, whether it's here on the podcast or on social media, a ton of communication via email. And, you know, I've kind of learned all these interesting things about runners and I've, I've, since over the years really taken a step back from being so hardcore about the training because not every runner wants that not every runner needs that and you know so we've kind of juggled different uh training approaches based on you know who you are as a runner and what you want to do with your running and and i think it's it's important to cater to those different types of runners because you know even like that person you mentioned oh i run three miles mostly every day well they're still a runner and you know my philosophy is if you run then you're a runner you don't have to be you know wearing the one inch split leg shorts with spikes and a singlet you know that i prefer with the shaved legs maybe <laughs> but you know you <laughs> And you, you could be less a hardcore runner and still nevertheless be a runner. Right. And, and I think that the really special thing about running too is there's no right reason for why you should run or walk or jog or, you know, or whatever you want to call it. Like everyone has their own motivations and, you know, for whatever that is, like, let that be your, your fuel and your passion. Like, let that be the reason behind it. And, you know, whether it's to lose weight or just to be more healthy or because, I mean, and like my reason to run has changed a lot. Like after having kids, it was to lose weight. And then it turned into because I enjoy it and I needed kind of my me time, as, you know, a busy mom with two kids. Like that was my like sacred time to, to myself, um, and, you know, and it changes over time. And that's just, I don't know. I, I love running and, and I think it's really special for whatever however you have it in your life, it can be a really special thing. Absolutely. And I married my college sweetheart who, um, was a runner as well. We, you know, we both ran on the the track and cross country teams at Connecticut college. And, uh, you know, I've been able to see how my wife, her relationship with running has changed over the years. Cause you know, you know, super competitive, you know, really into the training in college, not so much now that we have three kids and, you know, we just had our, our third last November. And so she's kind of in that same phase now where she's just getting back into it. She's at the point now where, you know, she's kind of building her fitness and, you know, there's all these different stages of running based on where you are in your life. And each one of them is completely valid. 
Um, let mm. me ask you about, do you guys put on the Potomac River uh, Run Marathon that's in D.C.? No. Um, I'm not sure who does that. We we time a number of races, and I think um, we have the, the Reston Marathon coming up that, that we time. But we, um, we mostly manage, it's called the PR Race Series, um, and it's about 25 annual races throughout the Virginia and DC area, um, that, that we're, we're involved with. So, and they, those range from, we have mighty miles for kids, which are really, really fun to expose, um, kids to just the, the fun part of running. Um, and all the way up, there's a 20 K, um, which makes for a really, really great training run for people doing, you know, a half marathon or a fall marathon. Yeah, sorry, that was a completely random question. I <laughs> I was curious because I had run that marathon in 2013, and it just has almost the same name as as the the store itself. Yeah, there's a lot of Potomac River pride in the DC area. Yeah, running along the Potomac on the uh, the cow path there or the towpath, whatever. Mm-hmm you guys call it these days, was one of my favorite places to do long runs, especially more marathon specific long runs. It was a, you know, slightly softer surface, but you know, it was flat. It was, you know, perfectly marked mile to mile. So great training venue too. Oh yeah. I did lots of tempos in college on that. Now, what brought you guys to the DC area? Well, I, uh, like the good boyfriend I was, I told my wife to find a teaching job wherever she could and I would move with her. Oh yeah, that's it. So yeah, we ended up uh, in Silver Spring. She worked at a charter school in DC. Um, and it, it was it was a great boon to me because I was able to uh, experience the wonders of Rock Creek Park. And those were some of the best, uh, you know, running years uh, were when I was just training around that area, running so many of the races in DC, ran the Cherry Blossom 10 miler, the St. Patrick's Day 8K, the Run Geek Run 8K. There are so many great races in DC. Such an amazing yeah. running community. I'm actually I'm on the committee for the Credit Union Cherry Blossom 10 Mile Run. That's that takes place this year. It's April 8th. Um, so we're we're coming up. We're getting really close to it. But that that's a, another really really fun race, and it usually takes place when the cherry blossoms are blooming. It's a 10 mile run. It's just such a great great. Um, great DC race. Yeah. I, I was like two seconds off my PR there in 2010, I think. And, wow. uh, I just got these weird shin pains in like the last two miles, which kind of screwed up my race, but still so close. Happen when we're having good races, huh? Like we're having a good race and then something like that happens, huh? Uh, such is the life of a runner. <laughs> Let's let's transition to your running because uh, I think this is an interesting story. You're not just another runner. You were a four-time All-American at American University. What were some of your events that you focused on in college? So I loved cross country. Um, that was such a special season for me. I really enjoyed running on um, just the cross country courses and the, just the team aspect. But primarily, I'd focus on. Um, the mile and 5k, um, and come track season. So I, um, my top finish at NCAA nationals for cross country, I was sixth my senior year. And then my top finish on track, I was ninth, um, at outdoor nationals. All right. Now we're talking. So you are fast and, uh, I'm not surprised you're going after an Olympic trial standard at the Boston marathon. And uh, that's super exciting. Now, are you shooting for the A or the B standard? Do you, do you already have one of them? 
No, I'm shooting for the B. So 245 is is the B standard. So um, I'm feeling pretty confident in my abilities right now to get that. I actually, I did a half marathon, the DC rock and roll half um, a couple weeks ago in DC. And um, a girl who finished just a little bit behind me, um, we were chatting on our cool down and she said uh, she was doing Boston and she asked what my goal was. And I told her, I, you know, my goal is 245. I'm trying to get the, you know, the B standard for the trials. And she kind of had a look of like surprise or kind of like she kind of in a way thought she was laughing at me. And I was a little bit embarrassed in the moment. because I'm like, Oh, man, I just put my goal out there. Why? You know, why did I say that? I probably kept my mouth shut. She probably is thinking that's that's crazy. But she said, I've already run faster than that. And I'm going for 240 at Boston. I think you should really update your goal. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like okay, okay, yeah, all right, you know, I'll go for 240 if you want. But um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I'm going for, for just, you know, the main goal is to break 245 at Boston. That's exciting. Now, why Boston? It's not the easiest course out there. Is it just because it's maybe the best course out there, not necessarily the fastest? So that's kind of a long question, too, because um, I've always had a dream to run Boston. I'm really, really new to the marathon running. Um, I tried once before to qualify in 2014. Um, and with the first marathon I ever did, I, I went in a little bit unprepared. And um, I that race completely humbled me. I got to mile 20. And then I walked the last six. And I finished thinking I'm not a marathon runner, period. This is this is not for me. I need to stick with like the shorter distances, the 5k's maybe do like a 10 miler, but I, I'm not a marathon runner. I ran 349.49 was my time. And I was so proud to cross the finish line and finish that race. But I really wrote off ever doing another marathon again. And, um, so I, you know, I kind of took some time off running and had some kids and I really just started running first. Like I said, just to, um, back, you know, about a year ago, I started again saying I wanted to just get in shape and my husband and I signed up for a marathon to kind of have a goal race. And my goal was just three thirty-five, just to qualify for Boston. Um, so I went out and I just couldn't, I was going to really, I seriously tried to run the pace of somewhere between 325 and 335, but I went out and just felt so good. I ended up finishing at like 314 at that race. And I was so proud to qualify for Boston. So I signed up as soon as I could, um, which I, it opened in September. And, but then I was signed up to do the Richmond marathon and training had been going really, really well. So I was thinking, well, maybe I have a chance at breaking three for this race. And similar to how I did at the the spring marathon I did, I started out at trying to run three, you know, to break three hours. And I just felt so good. I ended up going a lot faster and I ran 247 at Richmond. Um, so it was after that race where I kind of realized, wow, I, I might be able, like I've might be able to qualify if I keep going after it. So, but I'd already signed up to run Boston. I feel like that's such a, um, you know, it's, it's Boston and it's kind of like a runner's passage. Like when someone finds out you're a runner, they're like, Oh, have you run the Boston marathon? And you're, you know, well, no, I'm a miler, but you know, just the kind of, even your, your average Joe, that's not a runner knows that race. So it was always a really big dream of mine to run Boston. Um, so I had it on the calendar before I even started going after the goal. And people tell me now I'm a little crazy because it's, it's not the fastest course and maybe, you know, pick a faster race, but, um, 
but I'm kind of hard headed and I signed up and I really want to do this race. So I'm going to go after it in, in this race. Hard headed with a short memory. Now you really sound like a runner. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why marathon running may just be for me after all. <laughs> well, that's really exciting. I mean, two times now you have gone after a time goal and just felt so good. And you've absolutely then crushed that time goal. And so is that your PR now? Or are you only at two minutes away from the B standard? Yes. Yeah. So the last, yeah. So 247 is my PR now. And I ran that, I mean, I ran that race to break three. So my first half was maybe like a 126, 127. And then I was like, man, I feel good. Like, I'm just going to go like, let's just see what happens. And um, so I just went and my, you know, my second half was over five minutes faster. It was actually my half PR and my 10 mile PR in at the end of a marathon, which is pretty unheard of. Um, but it's also a little scary because that race felt so good that, and I've never had a race in my whole life feel that good. So you just know that those races are few and far between. So I know it's not going to be that easy come Boston. So I'm really trying to, um, you know, make sure I have, I have it right in the head that it's not going to feel like that again, probably I'm going to have to, you know, make it happen a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, I'm really excited. And I feel like I'm so even in, in the Richmond race that I did, maybe if I'd run a little bit more, even splits, I could have run faster on that day. And I know I'm just a whole lot in better shape. The workouts I've been doing leading into Boston have just been a world ahead of where I was last fall. So I'm feeling really confident that, um, that that's a very realistic goal. And I, you know, I would love to surprise myself and, you know, crush that, you know, as much as I crushed my last two ones, but, but we'll see, we will see. Well, that negative split in your uh, 247 is is unreal. That almost doesn't happen at that level of marathoning. So uh, it, it's super encouraging. I mean, I think you're I think you're going to get it. And you, you know, with this at this rate, you're going to go for the B standard and get the A standard. <laughs> I that would be phenomenal. And I and I do <laughs> like the way my workout's been going. I do feel like you know, that A standard is within reach as well. But just knowing when I've set my expectations and my goal very realistic and how much fun it is just to blow that out of the water, like I'd much rather do a marathon where I go out a little bit more conservative and then I'm passing people in negative splitting because, you know, I've tried it the other way too. I've gone out and I made it to mile 20 and walked the back six. So that's a really tough way to run a marathon. So I really don't want to go down that road again. So I guess being a little more conservative, I'd rather um, error on the side of that. But then also for me, like my goal is just to qualify and I can do another marathon down the line for time once I have that standard and, and risk it a little bit more. But until I have that time, I think I need to be a little conservative to make sure I just get the qualifying time and then I can get a little fancy and crazy in future marathons to come to really see what, what I can do. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your race strategy. Are are you going to try to run about 244 pace right on the nose the whole time? Or do you have a little bit more of a complex race strategy in place? So if you would ask me this a week ago, um, I think I would have just said, I'm going to go out and see how I feel and anywhere between 240 and 245 pace, whatever feels comfortable locking in. Um, that's what I'm going to run. But I this past weekend, uh, my father-in-law and I went up to Boston and I ran the course. And if if anyone's ever doing Boston and they want a great way to preview the course, three and four weekends before the Boston Marathon, if you go out and run the course, there are thousands 
of people on the course. I'm not I'm not exaggerating least bit thousands of people. There's police cars lined up directing traffic. There was stops every quarter mile, half mile from different organizations and groups like having water stops. It was the most crazy and fun training run I've ever done in my whole life. Like the the spirit of Boston was just phenomenal. Uh, but I went out and got to preview the course. I ran 22 miles of the course, just enough to see Heartbreak Hill. And, you know, a lot of people talk about Heartbreak Hill and, you know, describe how it got the name. And then there's some people that just say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, you'll be fine. But those, I mean, the hills are legit. Like it's a rolling, it's a rolling course. And those hills that get you right between 16 and 22, those, I mean, you really need to to kind of take that into account. So I think I may try to be a little more conservative going out just to make sure I can get through those hills and not, you know, put myself into the red zone or hit a wall going over those hills and then really just try to bring it home. Um, I think I do a lot better when I'm in, when I'm negative splitting too. So I think trying to be conservative as much as I can um, in the, you know, in the first half and then just trying to, just trying to bring it home. Yeah, those hills are are pretty substantial. Anyone who tells you not to worry about the hills at Boston, they're kind of just not, they're trying not to scare you. That's all they're trying to do. Uh, yeah. It's funny, I was actually just talking about the Boston Marathon yesterday with um, uh, an elite trail runner, David Roche, who's up here in Colorado. And we were talking about the unique demands of, of Boston and why it's so hard. And I have this theory that it's hard on, most runners because they incur a lot of muscle damage in the early miles because there's some pretty substantial downhills. And then those uphills that start around mile 16 or so, they go through mile maybe 21 or so because really Heartbreak Hill is the final hill of a series of hills around that time period in the race. And, you know, those just, you know, they slow you down. They uh, don't incur as much muscle damage as the downhill running, but aerobically they're super challenging. And then once you're at the top, it's, it's a net downhill, pretty substantial from that point of the race to the finish line. And the runners that can get to that point without, you know, being too gassed from the Hills without being too sore from those early downhills. So hopefully they didn't go out too fast, which was my big downfall in, uh, 2014. And those runners are going to have you know, an easier time negative splitting the race because there are some big downhills and it's, you know, a net downhill uh, until the finish. But but I think better runners and particularly, you know, runners like you, you're going after a, a trial standard, um, you know, elite runners like that are going to be able to really hammer those last four or five miles or so. Whereas, you know, us Joe Schmo runners, we're, we're going to be in a world of pain at that point in Boston. I know I was. <laughs> Yeah. Well, do you have any tips knowing that since you've done it before, uh, going into like my first boss and what would you like, I know you just gave a really good description there, but any other like little tips you can give me? Um, I, I think the most important thing, and this is probably really for, I, I think it skews more towards, you know, the, the average runner, the slower runner, not necessarily the elite runner. Cause I think elite runners have more physical tools at their disposal that they can use to their advantage. But, you know, generally speaking, just don't go out too fast over those first couple miles. You know, I think in the second mile, uh, there's, there, you know, these downhills are substantial. I was like 20 seconds faster than my goal pace for mile two. And, you know, that bit me in the butt, um, you know, later in the race, when I was, I started having some, 
some IT band problems and all kinds of different problems. You know, Boston was one of those races for me where, you know, it was like Murphy's law. If it could go wrong, it would go wrong. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, it's just making sure that, you know, you're not trashing your legs at mile three of the marathon because you're going to need those legs for the final downhills closer to the finish. Uh, but, you know, other, otherwise, you know, just don't step in a pothole. A lot of those roads are, are not very great, especially in the early miles of Boston when you're out kind of way in the suburbs. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's a great race. Awesome. Well, thanks for the tips. Yeah. Um, so you, let's talk a little bit more about your training. You said your workouts have been going so much better this year. Uh, now, are you training like a 245 marathoner right now? Like, are you putting in way more volume, much more challenging workouts than say when you were just going for a sub three? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely, um, the workouts have been more intense and I've upped my mileage a little bit, but a lot of that just comes from, um, cause like I've said, I've been training maybe for about a year now. So just naturally my mileage has been going up and up. And I mean, when I first started running, you know, I was trying to get probably 10 miles a week and then it went up to 30 eventually. And I think before Richmond, I was probably, um, somewhere in the sixties to 70 range. Uh, and now I'm about 80 miles a week. Um, but I run and it's really, it's really funny that you asked me about training too, because I, um, I, I work really, really hard, but I also feel like I, um, I don't really have a systematic way to go about it. Like I really started doing a lot more mileage just because that's how much I wanted to run. And when I went out for a run, I'd like to go out for 10 miles and not just two. So I feel like the merit, like being a good marathoner is a result of just, I like running long and slow now rather than, um, short and fast. So, um, you know, I do, like I said, I do about 80 miles a week and I do that six runs a week and I take one day off. Um, I don't with like my schedule, I, it's hard for me to, to find time to run even, but, um, I, I don't really have the time to do double runs. So I just try to, yeah, six runs a week and about 80 miles, but I do one workout early in the week that I try to do longer intervals. And then, um, in the weekend or Friday, Saturday timeframe, I'll do a long run that sometimes has a long tempo hidden in it and sometimes not. So I feel, um, I've been really, really lucky that, um, I ran a little bit post collegiately um, for a man named Scott Roscoe, who is very graciously helping me and giving me some advice with workouts now. Um, so he's been he's been helping me a lot with with my training and just figuring out what workouts I need when. Um, so I'm you know luckily I have you know just a really strong mentor out of him. But other than that, like it's just funny because I just tell people like running's just like my fun hobby. Like I'm in like you know little mom groups in my neighborhood and we have like bunco nights and um and, you know I told them recently I'm like oh yeah they're like how'd your run go this weekend I'm like I, I won it and they're like now when you say you won a race does that just mean you set like you ran your fastest like what does that mean I'm like. It means that, you know, there was 20,000 people there and there was a tape that I actually physically ran through and broke the tape. They're like, does that mean you just, you know, won your age group? I'm like, no, I was actually the top female finisher. Like, this, I'm pretty cool. Like, this is, but it's just, you know, it's just my fun hobby, you know, like some people like, and this is a weird analogy, but some people collect rocks, like some people bake or read books. Like right now running is my fun hobby. So I'm doing it because I love it. And I'm just so lucky and fortunate that it's going so well, which makes it even more fun. 
Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to take it too seriously. I'm not trying to be like way too regimented. I just get up and run as far as I want to go. And, um, you know, and I do have a background in running. So I, so I know basically, you know, what to do, but, you know, I think that I'm listening to my body and I'm kind of just sticking to the basics and just putting in some, some work and mileage and it's all adding up in the right way for me right now. Well, I can't think of a better reason to run than you simply love it. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you as, you know, a fellow parent and, you know, just otherwise busy person, how do you balance being a mom with a career and training for a performance like an Olympic trial standard? Uh, can you like maybe walk us through what a typical day is like with you fitting in, you know, 12, 13 miles a day, uh, on top of everything else you're doing? Yeah. It, um, like my biggest way to answer that is that it takes a village. Like I have such a strong support system and people that support me by watching the kids or support me by, you know, just asking how my runs go or keeping me motivated and accountable. Like it's, I have such a great support system here in Richmond and, and with my family. I have my, my dad is flying in from Bellingham, Washington to, um, watch my kids while I go up to Boston. And this past weekend, when I went up to Boston to preview the course, my mom came over and watched the kids. And, um, and then usually on Saturday and Sunday runs, like my husband's parents will come over and watch the kids. And I can't even tell you how many times that I've, I've left the house while the kids are kind of screaming and, you know, my husband's, you know, just watching them. And I'm like, Hey, thanks for letting me run. I'll be back in two hours, honey. Thanks a bunch. So I'm just so fortunate that I have such a great support system that allows me to do that. So that's, that's the first thing. But I also have become like super efficient with my time. So, I mean, I, um, you know, I figure out what time I have in the day, you know, my husband is, um, he's gone with, with military sometimes. So when he's not there, um, and I have the kids all day, I'll either either find a sitter or I'm up at 5am on our treadmill in our basement and putting in the miles or, you know, I put them to bed at 730. And then I hop on the treadmill at night. So it you just you kind of have to make the time. And if, if it's a goal of yours, then I guess my only advice is just figure out where your priorities are and, and just make the time. But, um, but typically, my husband takes like the early shift. So he'll usually get up at like five and he'll go run or work out or do something. We get the kids ready. Um, and they're in, they're in a daycare right now. We'll get them ready together and he'll drop them off. And then I'll squeeze in my workout before, um, doing whatever I need to do for the day. Um, but, but I also, it's funny too. Cause like in, in my life right now, running is, it's not my highest priority. Like my family is the top priority and like my husband and, and my career. And so it's, it's funny that sometimes when I don't have enough time in the day, it sometimes is the run that gets, gets shafted or short end, or, you know, it becomes the rest day that day. And then I have to rechain, you know, switch around the schedule for the rest of the week. But, um, I think having a clear, you know, itemized, uh, just a clear list of where your priorities are, I think really helps you figure out how you can make the time for what, I don't know if that makes sense the way I'm saying that, but, but it's something, no, it it's something that I did right now. It's my hobby, you know? So if I, if I don't have enough time in the day, unfortunately it's my run that usually gets cut out first, but, but luckily because I have such a big support system that usually doesn't have to happen. And I'm glad you brought up the support system. I've, I've, one of the things, you know, we talked about things you learn about runners over the years when talking to so many of them is that, you know, the ones who are successful, the ones who, um, both 
perform really well and also those who I think really fall in love with the sport are those who have some kind of support system in place. They have friends and family. They, it might be you know as simple as someone that they meet for a run once or twice a week to hold them accountable. Um, you know, I, I have this concept I like to call the lone wolf. You know, don't be the lone wolf. If you have a problem with your running, go get guidance. If you need someone for accountability proactively find that person. And uh, one of the things that I love too is now that, you know, it's 2018, we don't have to necessarily have our entire support system, you know, at your house every day, you can go online and find groups of people, virtual uh, teams and things like that, that can really give you the accountability, the support, the guidance, even the coaching that you need uh, to help you not just get faster, but just get more consistent and get more out of your running. So, uh, you know, the fact that you said that, I'm just not surprised at all. I can look back at all my previous big races for me. And, you know, there's no way I would have done any of that without the help and support from, you know, my own support network. So it's just a, a plug for getting that extra help. Help for for other runners who might be listening now. Yep. Hey, and do you do you use Strava, Jason? I do not. I've actually downgraded my tech maybe like nine months ago, twelve months ago, and I'm wearing like a thirty five dollar Timex, and I almost couldn't be happier. But with that said, I am toying with the idea of getting on Strava because it just kind of looks like an awesome platform. It is so much fun, and it really like when you mentioned like the lone wolf syndrome, like I do probably a majority of my runs by myself, but I'm on Strava and I put everything up on Strava. I mean, it automatically loads up from my watch, but I can't tell you how much fun and like motivating it is to have like a community behind you and get, you know, for everyone's runs, you can give like little kudos and, and just seeing that I went for a run that maybe I wasn't feeling so great. And you know, 10 people gave you kudos on this run. Like it just makes you feel good. And it, it is like, like you said, it's such, it's a way in 2018 just to make it a lot more social. Um, and I, I just, I'm obsessed with Strava. So I, I cannot, I wish I was sponsored or something by them because I talk about them enough and get so many people onto the app, but that's a really, really fun way to stay engaged with like the running community and make it a social event, even when you're running, uh, running by yourself. Well, I'm going to put a link to your Strava account in the show notes for this episode so folks can follow along with your training and, and see how you're doing uh, around the Boston Marathon. Hopefully they can, uh, maybe some local runners can see some of your routes and segments that you're running so you can get a little bit of co uh, friendly competition there too. <laughs> Definitely. I will put a disclaimer though that I usually, most days I name, like you can title your run and I usually title my run lame jokes or puns or something that like made me laugh. So um, if you're not into like, like funny stuff or just things that I think are funny, you don't have to like follow me or whatever. But I, I personally get a big kick out of like the lame jokes and the puns. So, so if you like running or you just like puns, uh, follow me on Strava. Yeah. Run into Kira on Strava, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was a good one. All right. With that dad joke, we'll call it a podcast episode. Kira, thank you so much for uh, being here and just sharing all this, this great stuff with us. This was such a wide ranging episode talking about so many different things. Um, so best of luck at Boston coming up. I really hope you get that B standard. And uh, if you're feeling great, I hope you get that A standard too. That'd be really exciting. Thank you. I'll definitely let you know how it goes. Awesome.
And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this because I certainly did. I love talking to elite level runners who actually aren't sponsored by 17 different companies and who aren't focusing 100% of their energy on running because that's the reality for all of us. We have families and jobs and other commitments. So it's quite instructive to hear how someone like Kira fits in the number of miles and all the workouts and long runs with everything else in her life. And I'm sure just like it did for me, you got some ideas on how to creatively fit in your training with the rest of your schedule. Finally, before you head out today, I want to talk a little bit more about foot strength and our sponsor AFX. Let me ask you a question. Why do most runners ignore strength exercises for our feet when each foot has more than 100 muscles and tendons and ligaments? Just think about it. Your foot is the first part of your body that touches the ground as you run. It absorbs shock. It helps support your body even when the impact forces of running can be two to five times your body weight, and it helps to run more efficiently. But most of us generally don't do any foot exercises. We'll get in the gym and crush our gym workouts and consistently do our core work, which is great, but when it comes to foot strength, we ignore that piece of our training. And it's no wonder foot injuries like plantar fasciitis are so common. And that term was actually searched for over 300,000 times in Google just last month. With the right foot exercises, you'll get stronger feet and you can prevent a host of injuries like shin splints, plantar fasciitis, ankle sprains, peroneal tendonitis, and Achilles tendinopathy. Now, I need to be upfront. Not every runner needs a piece of exercise equipment specific to the feet and lower legs. If you have little or no history of injuries to the foot, Achilles, calf, or shins, then you don't need a dedicated strength implement for the feet. But if you do struggle with foot or lower leg injuries, you feel like you experience them chronically, you might need more focused exercises like the AFX to increase your strength and injury resilience. Now, there's another group of runners that should think about this as well. Runners who wear custom orthotics or whose doctors are currently recommending them. These kinds of runners likely need more foot strength. Now, orthotics with generally have a price tag in the hundreds of dollars, are almost like a crutch that usually doesn't address the root problem a runner is experiencing. Now the AFX lets you do five specific exercises a lot more effectively. Plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, toe flexion, ankle inversion, and ankle eversion. These are all the fancy ways of describing the motion of the foot. And the most important aspect of the ankle foot maximizer, and with really any piece of strength equipment, is that it focuses on strengthening your underlying weaknesses instead of just masking the symptoms. So if you are the type of runner who might benefit from something like this, I do recommend the AFX. It's used by elite athletes. It has a lot of PhDs and other top coaches on board. So I want to hook you up. Use the code STRENGTHRUN, no space, all caps, and you'll get 10% off at checkout. One more time, that code is STRENGTHRUN, and you can use that at afx-online.com. Just click, do you have a promotional code? Enter it, and you'll save 10%. All right, guys, that's all for me today. Have a great one, and we'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.